0: back, Hemingway List Brains, to the Hemingway List Brain podcast. Talking about uh, Book 10, Chapter 6. What is gained from the juxtaposition of this chapter's nobility chatter about the war and the previous chapter's reality of war? What is Tolstoy saying/slash showing by placing Prince Vasily in both social circles and having him forget what he's kosher in one circle versus the other? And what do you think of Kutuzov being appointed as commander-in-chief? Prince Vasily's still trying to, um, well, trying, actually, I think is the main thing. He's trying to uh, say the right thing in the right place. But that does seem like a bit of a different Prince Vasili from what we can remember at the start of the book, where it seemed more like at that point he didn't really care what people thought of him too much. He was trying to get in um, with Bezukhov for the um, inheritance Yes, but in the social circles with Anna and, you know, people trying to get his favour, he was pretty nonchalant. Now, uh, not so much, by the looks of it, if he's, you know, still going to these, um, what are they called, drawing rooms, um, salons, and, yeah, trying to say the right things. What is gained from the juxtaposition... Kutuzov being appointed as commander-in-chief Controversial move, I guess Kutuzov has as many enemies Or as many um, Not enemies, but as many many, um, Fans as he does Whatever the opposite of a fan is A hater (laughs) He's got plenty of haters Even within his own country Twisted way. appreciate you asking this by the way, Twisted way, but Twisted way says Is anyone still reading? The last few weeks we have had so few commenters on the Daily Thread. I would love to hear what other people think if you are still reading along. Vasily was cracking me up, what a slime ball, just parroting the opinion of the salon he's in and naturally can't help but screw up which side is which. Um now thanks for asking by the way if anyone's still reading. We had uh, 10 comments on today's as opposed to yesterday's chapter, which only had one comment. I'm pretty sure. So we had a few people chime in. Kara Kickass says, I'm still reading. Rips to 66. I'm still reading. Acoustic eels. Still reading. And I'm up to date with the daily readings. Um, enjoying it still. we got four lost souls in a bowl. Pythagorean bean. Wap, wap away. All these people chiming in to say, yes, they're still reading. So thanks guys. Appreciate the, um, the comment. Ripster66 says, Tolstoy started this whole book with a scene at one of these salons and now we're back. But it feels very different now because we've seen the war up close. Watching these nobles discuss tactics and have opinions about leaders without understanding the reality of the chaos within the military is a little frustrating. Sitting at a distance is such a privilege and proclaiming to know what is best. Ach. Vasily. Just wants to be in the best position possible for himself. He'll say anything to appear agreeable, because it may serve him down the road. He is a snake, and talking out of both sides of his mouth is something that comes naturally to him. I think it's hilarious that he can't keep the sides right. Very cool. All right, let's carry on. Chapter 7. While this was taking place in Petersburg, the French had already passed Smolensk, and were drawing nearer and nearer to Moscow, Napoleon's historian Theas, like other of his historians, trying to justify his heroes, says that he was drawn to the walls of Moscow against his will. He is as right as other historians who uh, who look for the explanation of historic events. In the will of one man. he is as right as the Russian historians who maintain that Napoleon was drawn to Moscow by the skill of the Russian commanders. Here, besides the law of retrospection, which regards all the past as a preparation for events that subsequently occur, the law of reciprocity comes in, confusing the whole matter. A good chess player, having lost a game, is sincerely convinced that his loss resulted from a mistake he made and looks for that mistake in the opening forgets that at each stage of the game there were similar mistakes, that none of his moves were perfect. He only notices the mistake to which he pays attention, because his opponent took advantage of it. How much more complex than this is the game of war, which occurs under certain limits of time, and where it is not one will that manipulates lifeless objects, but everything results from innumerable conflicts of various wills. After Smolensk, Napoleon sought a battle beyond Dorogobuz at Vyazma and then at Sarevo-Zemyshezh. But it happened that owing to a conjunction of innumerable circumstances, the Russians could not give battle till they reached Borodino, 70 miles from Moscow. From Vyazam, sorry, Vyazma, Napoleon ordered a direct advance on Moscow. Moscow, la capitale asiatique de ce grand empire, la ville sacre de Pul de Alexander, Moscow, avec ses innombrables églises en form de pagos chinosis. <laughs> Let me just read the translation of that. Moscow, the Asiatic capital of this great empire, the sacred city of Alexander's people, Moscow, with its innumerable churches shaped like Chinese pagodas. This Moscow gave Napoleon's imagination no rest. On the march from Vyazma to Tsarvozheimishech, he rode his light bay bob-tailed ambler, ambler, accompanied by his guards, his bodyguard, his pages, and aides-de-camp. Berthier, his chief of staff, dropped behind to question a Russian prisoner captured by the cavalry, followed by Lelorne de, Lviv- de Ville. An interpreter who overtook Napoleon at a gallop and reined in his horse with an amused expression. Well, asked Napoleon. One of Platov's Cossacks says that Platov's corps is joining up with the main army, and that Kutuzov has been appointed commander-in-chief. He is a very well, very shrewd and garrulous fellow. Napoleon smiled and told them to give the Cossack a horse and bring the man to him. He wished to talk to him himself. Several adjutants galloped off, and an hour later, Lavrushka, the serf Denizov had handed over to Rostov, rode up to Napoleon in an orderly's jacket, and on a French cavalry saddle with a merry and tipsy face, Napoleon told him to ride by his side and began questioning him. You are a Cossack. Yes, a Cossack, Your Honor. The Cossack, not knowing in what company he was for Napoleon's plain appearance, had nothing about it that would reveal to an oriental mind the presence of a monarch, talked with extreme familiarity of incidents of the war, says Theers, narrating this episode. In reality, Lavrushka, having got drunk the day before and left his master's dinnerless, had been whipped and sent to the village in quest of chickens, where he engaged in looting till the French took him prisoner. Lavrushka was one of those coarse, barefaced lackeys who have seen all sorts of things, consider it necessary to do everything in a mean and cunning way, are ready to render any sort of service to their master and are keen at guessing their master's baser impulses, especially those prompted by vanity and pettiness. Finding himself in the company of Napoleon, whose identity he had easily and surely recognised, Lavrushka was not in the least abashed, but merely did his utmost to gain his new master's favour. He knew very well that this was Napoleon, but Napoleon's presence could no more intimidate him than Rostov's or Sergeant Major's with the rods, would have done, for he had nothing that either the sergeant major or Napoleon could deprive him of. So he rattled on, telling all the gossip he had heard among the orderlies. Much of it true, but when Napoleon asked him whether the Russians thought they would beat Bonaparte or not, Lavrushka screwed up his eyes and considered. In this question he saw subtle cunning, as men of his type see cunning in everything, so he frowned and did not answer immediately. It's like this, he said thoughtfully. If there's a battle soon, yours will win. That's right. But if three days pass, and after that, well, then that same battle will not soon be over. Lorne de Ville smilingly interpreted this speech to Napoleon thus. If a battle takes place within the next three days, the French will win. But if later, God knows what will happen. Napoleon did not smile, though he was evidently in high good humor, and he ho- he ordered these words, to be repeated. Lavrushka noticed this, and to entertain him further, pretending not to know who Napoleon was, added, We know that you have Bonaparte, and that he has beaten everybody in the world, but we are a different matter. Without knowing why or how, this bit of boastful patriotism slipped out at the end. The interpreter translated these words without the last phrase, and Bonaparte smiled. The young Cossack made his mighty interlocutor smile, says Tears. After riding a few paces in silence, Napoleon turned, Berthia, and said with, said he wished to see how the news that he was talking to the emperor himself, to that very emperor, who had written his immort, immortally victorious name on the pyramids, would affect this infant du don, child of the don. The fact was accordingly conveyed to Lavrushka. Lavrushka, understanding that this was done to perplex him, and that Napoleon expected him to be frightened... To gratify his new masters, promptly pretended to be astonished and awestruck, opened his eyes wide and assumed the expression he usually put on when taken to be whipped. As soon as Napoleon's interpreter had spoken, said Thiers, the Cossack, seized by amazement did not utter another word, but rode on, his eyes fixed on the conqueror, whose fame had reached him across the steppes of the east. All this loquacity was suddenly arrested and replaced by a naive and silent feeling of admiration. Napoleon, after making the Cossack a present, had him had him set free like a bird restored to its native fields. Napoleon rode on, dreaming of the Moscow that so appealed to his imagination, and the bird restored to its native fields galloped to our outposts, inventing on the way all that had not taken place but that he meant to relate to his comrades. What had really taken place he did not wish to relate, because it seemed to him not worth telling. He found the Cossacks, inquired for the regiment, operating with Platov's detachment, and by evening found his master, Nicholas Rostov, quartered at Yankovo. Rostov was just mounting to go for a ride round the neighbouring villages with Ilyin. He let Lavrushka have another horse and and took him along with him. Alright, there we are. That's that chapter four. ya. Yeah. Have your say about it on the subreddit. Thank you for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.